Well, welcome. We're grateful that you're here today, and I mean that from the bottom of our heart. We're grateful that you're here. If you're new, a special welcome. If you've never been here, this might be a crazy day for you to be here, so you might want to run right now. I had a question for you. Do Christians really understand what godly restoration looks like? And what I mean by that, you say you call yourself a believer, that you put Jesus first, you actually have a Bible, and you might even read it. Hallelujah. But do you really understand how God restores and what godly restoration looks like? Do you really understand when it says Jesus has all power and authority over your life and over this world, do you understand that and do you believe that? Or... Are you just faking it? Are you just here faking it? Covering it up? I come to church. I put a few bucks in the offering. I even breathe my sword. But I really am not restored. Nothing's really ever changed. I'm just faking it. And hopefully somebody sees something good in me because I sure don't see it because I don't ever feel like I've been restored. That's the question. How about this question? Does God even do restoration miracles that we read about in history, in the past, or is that done? Is the works dead? How come it doesn't happen in my life? How come it's not happening to the people around me? How come the people I pray for aren't being restored the way that it used to be in the days of Jesus? I hope we answer that question today hope we answer that question for you today. We've been praying. Today will be a powerful service, and I hope that you get something. We're doing a series called Restoration. This is three weeks. We're trying to restore some broken down vehicles. This is Jeremy's car door. He needs it back. It's Tara's side, so he said it's not that big a deal, but I say... But we have car parts coming in, and we want to make sure that you understand where you need to be restored. Do you need a new door? Do you need a new engine? Or you just need to get down to the base and start a complete restoration. If you're here, we're a church that's on the mission to love the world one person at a time. That's our heart. We want to make sure that you leave here feeling loved and that you can take that love into the world. Because trust me, our world needs it desperately. It's getting worse and worse and it needs more and more love. You know, a couple years ago, I went to this thing called The Call. It's been about a year and a half. And I came back so on fire that Sunday. And all I was doing was the offering. They didn't even let me preach. But I was so fired up. Today, I feel even more excited about what God wants to do in Ventura County. I really feel like something's going to happen. The time has come. And we're no longer ready to push it aside. But we need to step into this place that God has for us and start living it out. Take out your good clothes, take out your good shoes or your good flip-flops, and let's put them on and start walking in God's way. When you walked in, my dad has a Volkswagen bug out there that's in the middle of a restoration process. Yeah, it's beautiful, isn't it? Now listen, that bug was built and was sold brand new in some 90, uh, 1972, three or four, and it was worth $2,200. Today, in its jacked-up form, and I say that with all respect, it's worth about $8,000, $6,000, depending on who you're talking to. And if it's fully restored, it's worth about $50,000. The point of this concept is, listen, when you were first born, you had value in this world. 
But even today, you have more value than when you were originally born because you have a life and you have a place to go out and preach the gospel and watch God work in and around your family, your friends, and your community. And how does God show that his self in you? By how he restores you, how he builds you up, how he makes you and molds you into this human being that God calls to do good works. It's nothing that you can do, and it's everything that he can do. So here's the question. What do you need restored? Relationships? Health issues? Addictions? What do you need? Hopefully by the end of the message you'll know. And if not, we have a bunch of people coming up today because today is a powerful moment where you're going to have to really speak and hear from God and we'll have people praying. Last, last service, we had 20 or 30 people up here praying and really experiencing hope. And I hope that's you today. And I hope it's 50 or 100 or 200 come up. What do you need to be restored? Well, let's look at the Bible. Over the next three weeks, we have a memory verse. At church, in every church service, we have a memory verse for every series. We do it in kids, and we also do it here for God's children. And here's the verse that you have. And listen to how he restores. 1 Peter 5, it's an epistle. It's a general epistle. It's to be read in front of all the churches that believe in Jesus. And it says, And the grace and the God of grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you suffer a little while will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. With the grace of God, our Father is the glorious, grace, graceful. Uh, our God is graceful. And in his grace, we have Jesus. And out of Jesus, he left, and he left us with the Holy Spirit. And that grace that we have wants to build us up so that we can be strong, steadfast, and firm, no matter what waves and things are crashing over our life. That's why we're here, and I'm glad that you're here. I believe everyone that's here knew or that been here for years are here for a reason so that God can speak wholeness into your life. The last 12 weeks at the church, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is really a series that has opened up our heart. It says, you have heard it said this, but then Jesus says, I need you to see it like this. So we've done some heart work as a church. And now we're going to start the restoration process. If you ever had surgery or know somebody that's been in surgery, what they do is they go in and the doctor hopefully saves their life and fixes them. And then after the surgery is really where the restoration happens. They put all the parts back together in the body, and they treat it like a mechanic. They're pulling stuff out. No wonder why you're so sore, right? But after the fact of the surgery and the heart work is done, then they go back and put it back together. And that's when recovery starts. It's a process. And today, it begins with our heart. Our heart has been opened and healed, and now we're going to be restored and, and watch God do an inside work. Recovery starts from the inside. Doesn't start with a pair of jeans. I got my favorite jeans on and some cool boots. Got a haircut from my buddy Willem this week. Got a shirt, kind of like, not necessarily my favorite. But that doesn't make me restored. But today in our, our culture, it's about haircuts and new cars and new houses and trips and all these things that make us restored. And the truth is, God's saying it's an inside thing that I want to work on. And today, there's going to be some inside work. You know, there's, I've been praying for this message for years in my life, honestly. Today's probably a work of 15 years of my life, and uh, hopefully you'll feel that at the end. But there's a place in the Bible 
that my heart leaps. Now, the only other place that my heart leaps is, and I said this on the first service, that I have this beautiful wife. Her name's Elizabeth. And every time I hear her on the phone this week, she was calling to school, and she's like, yeah, this is Elizabeth Rodriguez. And when she says Rodriguez, my heart jumps. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to be corny and get good credit, but I am getting good credit right now. So, (laughs) Praise the Lord is right. But here's the thing. I say that because I need good credit today. But really, when I read this passage in Matthew 17, my heart leaps about this transfiguration message. And today, we're not going to really talk about the transfiguration message. We're going to talk about what happens after this. But I want to tell you what happens. Jesus takes his big three, and I'm talking Peter, James, and, and John up the mountain. They're invited to go up this mountain. It's like going to camp. If you've ever been to camp or a women's or men's retreat, you drive up the mountain and you go to meet Jesus. And you, you put all your things aside. And normally, I think it's a great thing the cell phones don't work or you got to put them away. And you're kind of just you and God with other people. And that's what's happening. They're going up on this retreat. And as they're up there, God reveals who Jesus really is. He tells Peter, James, and John, this is the one that you've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. Jesus is illuminated up there, and all of a sudden, he's glowing white, and and they're looking at him, and Peter's like, we should build altars. And then all of a sudden, they look up, and there's Elijah and Moses speaking to Jesus. And they're talking about Jesus' death which he told the apostles about a week before this, that I'm going to suffer, I'm going to die, and I'm going to raise again. And now these three are seeing Elijah and Moses and Jesus communicating about his death. And then God says, this is the one, this is my son, listen to him. Now why would he say that? What's the purpose of this transfiguration? Well, first and foremost, you have probably the greatest prophet of all time, Elijah. He is actually speaking for the prophets in the Old Testament. Then you have Moses that's given us the law, and he represents the law. And then God says, Jesus is above the prophets and the law. Listen to him because he's the one that's bringing new life and hope and restoration in this world. And Peter's beside himself. Let's build altars. Let's go down and tell the world. And Jesus says, don't tell them. Until I resurrect. Hold this. I know I could probably hold it. But I don't know if somebody could. But they're told to hold on to this and not tell. And then they come down from the mountain of glory. They come down from this mountain. And they come into the world of need again. Just like when you go to camp or when you go to a a, a, a retreat or something. You go up, you experience, and now you come back and you're like, ugh. Back to this life wish I would have left it up there. And that's what they happen. They come into this place of need. And Jesus does one of his greatest miracles. At our church, we believe the word, is God, the word of God is transforming. And because of that, if you're able to stand, please stand and let's read from a, a, a portion. Right after the transfiguration, a great radical restoration happens. And then there's an explanation on why maybe we're not receiving it. I'm reading from the Holman's Christian uh, Bible, and in the title of my Bible, it says, The King and His Power. It doesn't say a a disciple or an apostle or a Christian in his power, but it's talking about King Jesus and the power that was just given to him, bestowed to him on the mountain. Here's what it says. When they came down from this mountain, when they reached the crowd, a man approached him and knelt before him. Lord! Have mercy on my son, because he has seizures and suffers severely. 
He often falls into the fire and into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they couldn't heal him. I want to stop right there. I want to start praying right now. Now, if you're new to our church, you don't know what's going on in January, we created sections in our church to pray for specific things. This is Team Salvation. They're praying for salvation and our salvation experience to grow. So they're praying for new salvation, not just in our church. We don't care about how Journey grows. We care about the Church of Christ. This is Team Revelation. This is where my family sits, and they're experiencing and praying for God to reveal himself and to speak directly to all of us and all of Ventura County and the world. So give it up for Team Revelation. So my family sits here, but I sit over here because this is my spot. This is Team Transformation right here. And all throughout the year, we have been praying for people to be transformed and renewed in the image of God. And so they're praying for not just transformation in the church, but all over this world. So team transformation. So let's pray and ask God to speak, transform, and bring salvation and grow our experience. Father, we love you. We sang, we love you, and we bring our adorations before you. I pray that you will bring us a deep revelation about where we need transformation, where we need restoration. Lord, I pray that the team and the restoration, many will start, team will start overflowing their prayers, that we will hear you, and that our salvation and our salvation experience will grow. Sanctify us all, Father, and speak boldly to us. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. It's going to be a great day. Listen, at this moment in the Bible, they've come down from the mountain, and now Jesus is probably dealing with the worst case of anybody that he's ever dealt with. He's coming down, and he's dealing with this young boy who's epileptic, who's got uh, uh, lunacy going on, he's got uh, suicidal thoughts. And he's in severe situation. There may be only one other healing that might be close to the same with that guy Legion that's got multiple demons inside of him. But now we're talking about a child. And this child has something inside of him that wants to kill him. It's talking about throwing him into fire and water. Suicidal. There's something inside him that doesn't want to live. And I'm sure the boy struggling inside doesn't want to live either. He's like, what's inside of me is so bad, I would prefer to die in the water or fire. I don't want this. And so he comes. His father is so scared, and he runs to the feet of Jesus. He says, heal my boy, because the disciples can't do it. Is that you? Is that how your life is? Do you come to church on Sunday or every other Sunday or every once in a while and do you run to the feet of Jesus and go, restore me, restore my kids, restore my life, restore what I have and expect him to snap his fingers and to go away? This guy says the disciples, those that follow Jesus and put Jesus first couldn't heal. Is that what's happening in our church? I'm not talking about just journey, but journey and every church in Camarillo, and every church in Ventura County, and every church in the United States, are we the disciples that can't heal because we don't see the miracles happen anymore? Are we part of the problem? I think Jesus is going to speak on that. The disciples are helpless. And there's some reasons why they're helpless. Hopefully you'll see that today and it will speak boldly into your life. 
Well, what do you help us with? Where do you need restoration? I put a list up here, and we have a recovery group on Tuesday nights. It's called Restore. And everything that's up here, we try and deal with in our Restore group. It's about 15 or 20 people, and the first Tuesday of every month, we have worship and food. And uh, uh, I'm going to be teaching uh, in, at the beginning of next month. But they deal with all of these things, death, death and, and uh, divorce and marriage separation, really hard to deal with after death, imprisonment, personal injury, dismissal of work, the financial issues, bankruptcy, foreclosure, abuses emotionally and physically and sexually. Today's society is dealing with depression and anxiety. After last service, I was up here praying with Rachel right next to me and this young girl with a baby. She was less than 25 years old. She's like, I've got so much depression and anxiety. The smartphone and the social media is not helping. Our society is dying slowly with depression and anxiety. And we need to make a change. Psychologists are going to look back at this season when we let our kids and our family go rampant on the social media and realize it's killing them slowly. We deal with anxiety. Anybody got control issues? We know who you are. You're trying to control my message right now. <laughs> Anger, money, drugs, alcohol, all that stuff's part of recovery. We want to help you restore. It's a 12-step process with biblical things. If you don't like 12 steps, don't go, but try and find a place to recover. Here's the thing. We've got car parts and a car out there. Restoration is a process. It's a process. You have to start somewhere. You've got to take the car out of the garage after you've pulled out the Christmas tree and all the lights and the clothes and stuff that are on top of it, and you pull the car out and say, I've got to restore this thing and get rid of it. Or maybe that's your life. I've got to pull my life out, and I've really got to break it down to a place of restoration. God wants to heal. Now, in this group, and then we have a table out in the front. We've got Bibles and stuff. In this, there's the 12 steps and the biblical comparisons or responses to the 12 steps. Now, what I want to do is like a movie. You know when you go to a movie and they show the last scene of the movie at the first scene? I want to tell you step 12 so that you can get an idea of what recovery looks like, what restoration looks like. Here's what step 12 says. Having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps or the process that has just happened, you've gone through this re restoration and now you have an awakening, you see things differently. Having had a, a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we carry this message to other people. We tell people what's happened. Look, I used to be an addict or an alcoholic or I'm a control freak and now I'm not controlling. Praise Jesus. That's all it is. And then it says... And then you practice the principles or the restoration steps that you've done to get to that place in all of your affairs. So that you just don't get to it and go, okay, I'm now clean. I'm a nice 57 Chevy looking sharp with a cool haircut. No, every day you do the same things that you got to that place, giving it away and practicing. And you have an awakening. You're like, wow, I, I see things differently. That's the miracle in the restoration process of God. How do we get this awakening? We go through the process. If you don't like 12 steps and you think they're unbiblical, I'd love to talk to you, but go through the three-step process. Here's my three-step process. Believe, follow Jesus, and then help other people. That's a three-step process. Maybe your 12 is too many. Or maybe you want a 47-step process that Luther has. I don't care what it is. Get on the train and start restoring and doing the process that you need to do. It doesn't matter how young or old you are, you can still restore and change your life. If you're willing to open up and allow God to work and move. 
You know, Jesus was on earth for three years. And in those three years, his disciples were just like this. They didn't know how to help and restore. But after the three years, Jesus ascended and left the Holy Spirit. They took off and started to live out what they're supposed to do. My mom, I don't know where she, if she's not here, she might be outside doing something. But my mom, many years ago, suffered a back injury. And after about six or eight months, she was starting to feel a little bit better. And she went to the doctor, and she's like, I'm feeling really good. And the doctor says, Diane, it's going to take three to five years for you to be fully healed if you don't injure it again. Recovery and the restoration process takes time. So it's not like you can go get a, a prayer up here in a big gulp, and it should be done by the end of five, by five o'clock tonight. I wish it happened that way. The church would be filled, but nobody would ever come back. Because I'm healed and I don't need Jesus anymore. What we do is come before God on a regular basis. Jesus now is struggling with his disciples. When we continue in verse 17, he's struggling. He's embarrassed and he's frustrated with his disciples. He's like, look at what you guys have done. I've been gone for a couple days and look at what you've done to the ministry that we were just working on a couple days ago. Here's what he said. He's frustrated and he's embarrassing the disciples, it would be like me embarrassing you and calling you out for the things that you're doing wrong and why you're struggling in your life. Here's what it would sound like. Jesus replied, you unbelieving, rebellious, lousy church. How come you're not doing the work that you're supposed to do on Sundays and Mondays and Tuesdays? He says, how long must I be with you? How long do I got to preach until people start doing something in this community? Why am I stuck up here preaching when nobody does anything? That's what Jesus is communicating. He's, he's done with the disciples. I've been gone a couple days and this is what happens? If he was here today, he would have that intensity. Because he's frustrated and he's embarrassing the disciples. If you call yourself a disciple, this message might be harsh. I know it's harsh when I see it. How long must I bring, uh, be put here with you guys? Bring the child to me. And then Jesus rebukes the demon and it came out of him. And from that moment, the boy was healed. And the, Mark, the gospel of Mark, it says there was one more struggle. And the, the, the demon wanted to take the boy and try and kill him. But Jesus healed him and restored this boy. That's a great, amazing miracle, but that's nothing to do with restoration. The restoration process comes when the disciples ask. The disciples approach Jesus privately and says, why couldn't we drive it out? How come we couldn't restore this guy? How come we couldn't do the work? And that's the question that many of us have in our own life. How come I'm not restored? How come things aren't changing inside of me? How come the people around me and the people I pray for aren't being healed this way? How come I have to just fake it all the time and hope somebody sees Jesus in me somehow, some way? I think that's a good question. And I'll tell you the answer is it deals with honesty. You have to be honest. Honest is the beginning of everything in Christianity. It's the beginning of everything in restoration. It's the beginning of where we start to decide, do I have a problem do I need some help, and am I willing to get help? Here's what honesty says in the dictionary. Free of deceit and untruthfulness, the synonym would be sincere. 
That's where we begin. It's the zero step. If there's 12 steps or three steps or 47 steps, before you get to that place, you've got to get honest with yourself. I can't do this on my own. i got to break it down to the beginning of my life, and I've got to decide I need help, and I'm going to get help. I can no longer do it. And it's like I, I took a picture of a Volkswagen body frame. And this is really when you decide that I get honest. You see the frame, and, and in there you see, maybe we don't, but we have a picture of this frame, and this frame shows us that it's got no engine, and it's just the, the, the frame itself, and this is when you decide, I've got a lot of work to do. i still got so much work to do. People that restore cars, if they're like, I just met a guy after service, he's been two years, and he's been two years at a shop, he's not even doing it himself. It takes a long time, finding parts and trying to put it together. This is an honest place where you just realize, I need to make some changes, and I need some help. Here's what the Bible tells us about honesty, and this really speaks to directly to me. It says, so we, so we are lying if we say that we have fellowship with God, but then go on living in spiritual darkness. We are not practicing the truth. Jesus, we love I won't sing for you. We're singing these songs, Jesus, we love you. And we're praying, and we're listening to the message, and we're writing a prayer record for the 20th time about this prayer. But then we walk back into the topper's line and are already angry and full of self again. We're saying we have fellowship and a relationship with Jesus, but really what's happening is I still got my own stuff I got to deal with, and Jesus ain't dealing with me, so I'm just going to keep living on my own ways. You're lying, and you're not being honest. And that's why Jesus is frustrated because he's got issues with his disciples that we'll see. Here's John 8, 31 and 8, 32. Listen, Jesus is communicating to us. He says, Jesus said to the people who believe in him, those that call Jesus Lord and Savior who believe in him, here's what his words are. You are truly my disciple if you remain faithful to my teachings. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Listen, it's not you knowing my truth my truth is not going to do you any good. You're going to know your truth, and once Jesus speaks into your truth, you will be set free from what he wants you to be set free from. Quit worrying about everybody else and focus on your truth and what you need to be restored from, and your truth will set you free. That will come from Jesus. Jesus will speak directly to our DNA, directly to our hearts, individually, Maybe with this global word, but he will speak individually and he'll bring honesty. Your truth will set you free. And now the apostles are sitting there going, why couldn't we help him? And maybe you have that same question. Why can't I find healing and restoration? Why can't my marriage or my relationship or my parents or my child be healed? Why? The same question the apostles. And Jesus says, verse 20, because you have little faith. Ye have little faith. And then he says, For I assure you, if you have the, side, the, the faith of a mustard seed, you will tell this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing is impossible for you. Nothing will be impossible. And verse 21 is in about 50% of the translations, but it really makes sense in this message today. So I put it in because it's in this section. It says, however, this kind, this, this kind of demon cannot come out except through prayer and fasting. So now we're hearing the truth of why the apostles 
or the disciples couldn't heal and bring restoration. And it really makes sense. You know how I believe when the verse says, if you have faith, you can move a mountain? Well, trust me, I don't like, I never go up the grade. I'd rather go to Santa Barbara to get gas instead of going up the grade. I don't know why. It's just a weird thing. I just want God to level that mountain so it's, so it's not there. I don't know why. I have this, like, fear of the grade, and it's not like a physical fear. I'm just like, ah, I'll go to Santa Barbara and get gas. Um, but I believe if God told me he was going to move that grave, that if I got down there with my own shovel and started at the foot of the mountain and started digging, that somehow, some way, God would remove that mountain. In my own personal life, God has removed drugs and alcohol and financial issues and man issues and all these things. He has moved these great mountains because I'm willing to get down and start digging with him and watch him move. If I have just a little bit of faith, he says, nothing is impossible. When I tap into the glory of God, nothing is impossible. I got to start going. I'm way behind. You guys might be here for a little while. Here's the other thing. The Bible says that if you're responsible with a little, more will be given. In the restoration process, when you start restoring, you start with that, with that body again and that frame, and it's just by itself, and you start looking at it, and you start seeing what's the next step. And when you do a little bit, the next step becomes obvious. In our life, when you're responsible with a little, God wants you to start on the little things, and more things will be revealed. When I first moved into Camarillo and Somas, I was struggling with drugs and alcohol. I'd just been released from, uh, from being locked up. And all God said was, work on your addiction. And I started on my addiction, and later I found out that wasn't my problem. My problem is I'm a self-centered man. I'm a selfish man. And that is my bigger problem. And he started to work on that, and is still working on that every day. I pray in the morning, Lord, Beat down my selfish ways so that I can live a selfless life for your ways. That's what he wants. Beat down that self-centered soul inside of you and let the glory of God reign inside of you. Amen? Whew. It's taken me all to this point to get to here. And here's how the restoration happens. You're going to see this point, and it's really powerful. Nine disciples didn't make it up to the mountain, so about 75% of them didn't make it. Three did. Why? How come he only chose three? I'm in ministry, and sometimes we do retreats, and there's barbecues, and some people don't get invited. Not because we don't like you. Maybe we just forgot. Or maybe you just weren't invited. Jesus didn't invite all of his disciples. He only took three. Why? And what were the nine doing when Jesus was up there with the three? Good question. Just like what are you doing if you're not chose to do something special? What are you doing? Why couldn't they cast out these demons? Jesus gave them the power and authority in Matthew chapter 10. Look at what Matthew chapter 10 says. This is about two or three months before this happened. In Matthew chapter 10 says, Jesus called his 12, all 12, not nine, and he gave them to him and gave the authority to drive out impure spirits and every disease and sickness. He gave them the authority, and now while he's gone for a few days on a weekend retreat, we don't have the power anymore. Why? Did we lose the power, or did we do something wrong that doesn't allow us to have the power? Yes, we do. Yes, they did. 
Think about a time where you weren't invited to somewhere special. I was invited to the Dodger game last week. I miraculously couldn't make it. Ha, 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 I got that. I heard it. I see you, Roy, with your Dodger shirt on there. We are invited to stuff, and sometimes we don't make it. Listen, think about the nine. We know one of those nine was a knucklehead, angry and jealous. I'm the one that's in charge of the money. I'm the one that's paying for everything. How about the other guy? Did you see me preaching a couple days ago to the poor and sick? Jesus should have took me. My message was awesome. I was the one helping the old lady a couple days ago. How come he didn't take me? Of those nine, we know a couple people were angry and resentful. How come you're not God? How come I'm not part of that group? How come it's always Peter and John and James? So sick of those guys. I'm one of the 12. Well, they stopped doing their part. Jesus is gone, and he says, I'll be back. Keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. You come on Sunday, and your message is, go out and love the world and keep doing what you're supposed to be doing. And when you come back on Wednesday or Sunday, let's celebrate by worshiping what we did this week. Jesus goes up to the mountain, and here's what they did. Verse 20 says that they lacked faith. They didn't do their job. They started lacking faith. They, they were focused on other things except faith. In the Mark translation of this, the gospel of Mark, it says that they stopped praying. So they're lacking faith and they're stopped praying. You're praying at church and Monday you're like, ah, oh, I didn't have time. I got up late. I need to sleep in. My hair's messed up. I need whatever. And, and you start lacking faith. And then the final thing is, in verse 21, it says they lack discipline. Through prayer and fasting, this thing transformed. They lack discipline. Basically, during the transfiguration, the apostles, the nine that were left, were self-indulgent. They were full of self. They're saying, this isn't my job. They're up with the big three. Forget it. I'm just going to go back and go to the pub, get a, get a beer, relax, put my feet in the water, the Sea of Galilee. I'm just going to hang out. When they get back, I'll get back to work. That's what we do. We come to church. We act like everything's good. We want to be restored. We want to be healed. We want a complete restoration. But we want it done by a wave of a hand and not go through the process. And the process is we have to have faith. We have to pray. And we got to be obedient to what God wants to do. They stopped practicing their faith. The power left them. And when it was time for restoration to happen with this little boy, they were unprepared. Are you prepared today for restoration in your life? Are you prepared or have you been unprepared for many months or many years or many days? A lot of us struggle because we're not really prepared. They're helpless. Sometimes in our church, and I'm talking the global church, we have a bunch of helpless people. And God says, I don't want you to be helpless. I've got a son, his name's Jesus, and he's all power, and he has all authority, and in him, he has the power to transform you. You need to not be helpless. You need to be powerless and let go and let God. And I want to give you some, uh, quickly, I want to give you three steps 
Out of the Journey Restoration Program that meets on Tuesday night, we have a bunch of steps, and it heals with all kinds of things. I'm just telling you there's a place to go if you're dealing with some of this stuff. But the point is this. Here's the first three steps. Step one, we admitted that we were powerless and over our addictions or our compulsive behaviors, our controlling behaviors, and our lives become unmanageable. I look at my relationships or I look at my, my addictions and I'm saying, these are taking over my life. I've got to turn them over. I've got to take the power out of my hand and I've got to turn them over. And here's what the Apostle Paul says that verifies this step. He says, I know nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. For I desire to do what's good, but I cannot carry it out. I know what I need to do after today's service. Apart from this, I will walk away and go back into my old life. But with Christ, help me, Lord. Let me be powerless and let me cling to you all week. That's step one. Step two would say, we came to believe that there's a power outside of me that can restore me to sanity. Listen, there's a power and his name is Jesus and he moves and he takes our broken lives and moves us into wholeness. And if you allow him, he will take, out, take you out of your insanity and into a place of action and glory and transformation. That's who we have. And finally, the third step, and my buddy Richard's not here. He was here in the first service. Several years ago when I was struggling, this big man, we call him Farmer Richard's, got an awesome farm out in Somas. He worked with me on step three. And I'm a believer. I'm at a church. I'm trying to become a pastor. And this big man gets on his knees with me and grabs my hand. And he says, let's do step three. Lord, I turn my will and my life over to you. Turning my dreams, my relationships, my financial issues, I turn it all over to him and ask for God's will, not my will. Step three is then bringing it all together. I'm powerless, I'm insane, I need God's power, not my will, Lord, but your will be done, and I'm gonna turn it over to you and give it to you right now. That's who we have in Jesus, and that's how restoration happens. Step two says, for it is God who works in you to will and act according to his purpose. And step three, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is a spiritual act of worship. You can't do this on your own. You're not meant to be in a relationship with God by yourself. We're not meant to have our Bible and live as hermits and never come out of the cave. We're meant as individuals to come in fellowship and in the fellowship, restoration happens. It's not me or I, it's we together. We're family. This is your church, we're your family. If you're just visiting, find a family and be transparent, get honest and allow the power of Christ to come in you and turn your will over and become powerless can't do this alone my sister blew me away I'm sorry she was in Slovakia on a missions trip she wasn't having the best time of struggle for her but she started to tell a story about a man who was a miracle a man that was struggling with drugs and alcohol happened to be her brother, which is me. And she prayed and she was telling these kids that there was a time when she was praying that God would use Jeff's gift 
to be an encourager for him and not a salesman and an encourager for the world. And she told these kids the story that I live with a miracle. Today I stand before you working and trying to be restored but knowing that God did and could if he had sought in our lives on a day-to-day basis. Will you accept that you are powerless? I'm going to ask the prayer team. We've got two songs, so don't think you're leaving yet. We're going to have the prayer team come up over the next two songs. We're going to ask people to come up. But here's the question. This is your family. Maybe it's your first time and you're embarrassed. But here's the thing. In your family, you get honest. And you make statements to your family. If you're here today and you need restoration, will you just stand up? If you're here today and you need restoration in some part of your life, if there's a place that you need to turn the power over to God, you've tried everything and it's no longer working, will you just stand for the glory of God? And let's sing this song about being broken vessels. We can't do this on our own. And when you come to a place of honesty, God says, finally, my child, finally, you have the ability to do something for his glory. Accept his powerless. Accept our powerlessness and the power of God. Let's just pray for a moment. Father, you are a miracle worker. You do miracles today, and you're doing them right now in the hearts of men and women and children in this world. We are all children of God and we ask that we receive this blessing of powerlessness. That we turn our wills and our life and our dreams and our hopes and our finances and our homes to you, Father. And ask for your will to be done in our life. And if you don't know Jesus, receive him. Team Salvation has been praying that someone here today will turn their life over to God. If that's you, accept Jesus in your heart and repeat this prayer. Father, forgive me. Come into my heart, come into my soul, and be my savior, be my power, be my will. I know that you died and rose again so that I may have everlasting life. Anoint me with your Holy Spirit right now. I receive you, Father, as a broken vessel for you. We love you and we praise you and your name, Jesus. Amen.